a few weeks ago, I tried to talk with you about my understanding of merging of difference and unity. And I felt that I didn't do a very good job. <clears throat> so I'd like to revisit that and see if I can um, find a way to express in words what is completely inexpressible. <clears throat> so the merging of difference and unity has a variety of titles. One of them is that, and as we chant it here. Another is the identity of relative and absolute. And another even is the merging of many into one great functioning. The title in and of itself says the whole thing, but somehow as people we need more explanation. <laughs> so the rest of the poem is an explanation of the title in a lot of ways. And the title, as it's pronounced in Japanese words, Sandokai, you've heard that many times. Let me talk just briefly about those words. And I'm making reference now to someone named Dr. Andrew Bonici, who is a scholar and a linguist. So he says that the son of Sandokai is literally just means three, but it has a larger implication <clears throat> that is the one great source uh, expresses itself as both yin and yang, or as two, apparent, what appears to be two. Mm. And by implication, then, this is infinite. So, according to Bonici, San, in this context, means the infinite and incomprehensible great source. <clears throat> and the Do of San Dokai can be understood as um, things in their function, individual objects, people, beings, in their function. And it's not quite that simple. It has the implication of uh, equality of function or that each thing has equal value. And without any one thing, each other thing wouldn't be its same self. So, necessarily unified and necessarily co-equal. So, san-do means <clears throat> all relative things are equal in their functioning as part of the whole. And another way to say that is that the place and function of each thing in the universe <clears throat> is exactly the one great functioning. It can't be separate, cannot be separated from the one great functioning, or that it has infinite, any one tiny thing has infinite value or absolute value, <clears throat> even though it appears to be one separate and tiny thing. So now the Kai of Sandokai can be understood as the coming together or the merging 
or the harmony of. Uh, Suzuki Roshi spoke of it as um, the relative and absolute shaking hands. And Bonichi translates it this way, the merging of many into one great functioning. I find that explanation very clear. So, uh, the merging of many into one great functioning and slowly, slowly, slowly with Zazen over time, <clears throat> maybe quickly, I don't know. For me, it's been slow. We begin to recognize ourselves as one of many, as one of all beings. So we could say the merging of many into one great functioning, or we could say the merging of you into one great functioning you and I as one of all beings. I would say that this is actually the promise of the Lotus Sutra, the, that all beings have Buddha nature. This is what it's talking about. So in Zazen, this has something to do with our very own lives. This is not just conceptual. This is not just linguistic. In Zazen, when we're cultivating both stillness and wakefulness together without being attached to either. We're touching this very place of Sandokai. Whether we know it or not, it actually doesn't matter whether we know it. The truth is that it's expressing itself through you, through each and all. So we use our senses to perceive the world and the discriminating mind, part of its function is to kind of compile the picture. But we don't use discriminating mind to hold on to a fixed notion. Um, we find a way through Zazen um, to let go of the discriminating mind that creates a fixed notion. And when this is happening, the illusory world, or we could say the delusional world, recedes. Uh, and we could say, in a way, that ordinary mind recedes, and then we're in the presence of original and boundless mind. But to even speak it that way, as if ordinary mind and boundless mind are separate, is wrong. A couple of people have asked, how is it that I have not um, asked for my last few Dharma talks to be posted on our website? And I'll tell you why. <laughs> because that exact thing that I just said is a complete falsehood. And no matter how I try to get at it with language, it always is just a little bit off. And I can't bear for that to be posted on the website. I'm sorry. <laughs> but maybe confessing that it's already off is enough to say that. We're in the presence of original and boundless mind, whether we know it or not. <laughs> And there's no amount of saying this that can matter to you because it's beyond believing, it's beyond belief. It's 
not thinking, it's not analyzing. Um, it, it isn't on Wednesdays that we chant here the Song of the Grass Hut. One of the evenings, I think, in it, the line, thousands of words, myriad interpretations are only to free you from obstructions. So that's a little bit reminiscent of um, the Kalamas Sutra that I mentioned, I think, the last time, in which the Buddha is telling the village of Kalamas when they've asked the question, with all of these wise teachers who come through our village, who are we to believe? And the Buddha, listening to their question, carefully teaches them that essentially they have to see for themselves. And he gives them the methodology for finding out for themselves. And in some simple way, if this is wholesome, if it is not blameworthy, cultivate it. If it is unwholesome or blameful, abandon it. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? But essentially, the Buddha's teaching, find out for yourself, you must. So, in Zazen, that's what we're cultivating, the capacity to see for ourselves. In some ways, it's just very, very scientific. We've eliminated all of the variables and simplified it to breathing and blinking. And what we begin to recognize is that everything else is extra. Mm -hmm. Here we find original and boundless mind. Then, this is the relative and absolute merging right in our own experience. We notice unwholesome behavior or we notice um, our thoughts, actions, words that are out of alignment with our intention. Uh, and we begin the pivot toward, oh, how is that transmutable? How is that transformable so that it is in actual alignment with the vow? We feel that willingness to shift somewhere in the body. It's not a cognitive thing. And we activate our connection with the vow. Out of that simply arises an appropriate response. This whole setup, the zendo, the zoom zendo, the actual zendo, all of the studies, the practice period that's coming up, the whole setup is for each and all to have access to their own boundless mind. You know, these days after Zazen, we have a chance to check in briefly. It's kind of a little social, even chatty sometimes, maybe even just about the weather. doesn't really matter. But what we're experiencing there is the value of Sangha, the interconnectedness of our lives, the conditions. It's community building to even have that simple conversation about spring arriving, for example. Catherine used to call this uh, the rock tumbler of Sangha. When we just put ourselves, maybe, I don't know if you've tumbled rocks. I used to do this when I was an elementary school teacher. Put all the rocks in a tumbler and send it spinning for hours and hours and hours. 
with finer and finer grit and eventually the rough edges uh, are honed off. And with the finest grit, it's um, quite fine, maybe as fine as whole wheat flour. It's really quite fine. Then we get polished. So I would say this <clears throat> checking in with each other after zazen or when we're at the actual zendo, talking with each other while we're putting on our shoes. This is the fine grit of the rock tumbler. This is very, very intimate this is the loving experience of Sangha. And when we have that experience, after having touched boundless mind, we have kind of an intimacy that is undescribable. <clears throat> that said, <clears throat> there will be other times when the Sangha experience is irritating or painful. It, I don't want to create a false picture that it is Springtime and roses, always. <laughs> it's necessary in Sangha to self-examine. So what is my part in contributing to the particular irritation that's arising right now? How have I added to division, for example? Or how have I added to wholehearted inclusivity? <clears throat> so Zazen teaches us about the relative and absolute. And uh, <clears throat> in that very process, we're kind of released from the grip of the limitations of subject and object. We're released from the compulsion to be right or to hold a position. And yet we all have a tendency to get gripped. But now we have a menu of options of how to respond to the conditions that may be somewhat different than our habitual response. Defensiveness, for example, is a natural and I would say even automatic response to a perceived threat. So we also, given a pause, that micro moment of pivotal time, we also have the option of responding from our understanding of non-separation, from our understanding of impermanence, from our understanding of causation. You know that what I just said is related to the way the Buddha taught the Four Noble Truths. And I would say that every teaching, including the merging of difference and unity, has been an attempt to explain or express the Four Noble Truths. <clears throat> the cause of our suffering, you know, is our tendency to cling. <clears throat> Beginning with the recognition of clinging, we're already practicing the way, we're already on the path. Beginning with the recognition of clinging, there is already a seed of a willingness to shift because this is nourished by our own innate aspiration for wholeness. Bodhicitta or Buddha mind, awakened mind, arises naturally. Taking the backward step of zazen is stabilizing in that stable posture, stable mind, stable heart. We can see that since there is a cause of suffering and since we can locate their, that cause, 
there is the possibility of release from suffering. And then, once we see that possibility, activity is required. So the activity that uh, connects the relative realm and the boundless realm is the activity of Kai. You know that I'm talking Sando Kai again. The activity of Kai, your own true nature expressing itself. It's helpful, you know, many times to have multiple translations that we look at. And we say, um, how do we say it? In the, in the merging of difference and unity that we chant, it is grasping things is basically delusion. Merging with principle is still not enlightenment. There's another translation of that. Uh, and this is the one that we use in Arcata. To be at, attached to things is primordial illusion. To encounter the absolute is not yet enlightenment. There's another translation that I would like to share with you that is particularly revealing of that particular line. It's from Pacific Zen Institute. Trying to control things is only delusion. So the parallel is... Uh, Grasping things is basically delusion, but this one, trying to control things is only delusion. But hanging on to the absolute isn't enlightenment either. <clears throat> In the world of form, we differentiate substances and images. In the world of sound, we distinguish music from noise. Pacific Zen Institute's very beautiful translation of this particular teaching. So the activity of um, releasing our tendency to control, our wish to control, and releasing our tendency to hang on to something that we might have experienced as absolute, releasing both of those hangings on is what the Buddha is talking about in the Fourth Noble Truth. This is our reconnection to wholesome living. You know, you know what they are: right view, right thought, and so on. So they can be understood as holistic view, inclusive thought, harmonizing speech. You've heard me use this vocabulary before. Stabilizing activity. Uh, and what we're doing when we're engaging with our life this way is we're leaning on our own embodied wisdom to find the appropriate response. We have a natural resource bank as human beings. We have the mind, which is helpful. Understand conceptual teachings or study studying our own conditions. This is part of what we would do in analytical meditation. We have our body, the sensations, breathing, what's happening in the lower belly in the present moment. We have our heart, compassion, empathy, 
and we have our spirit. We're calling to mind with our spirit the aspirational teachings, or vow. So, in the merging of difference and unity, we later hear, um, hearing these words, you should understand the source. Don't make up standards on your own. I'll dissect that just a little bit with a couple of other translations. Pacific Zen Institute, paralleling the phrase, hearing the words, or hearing this, Pacific Zen Institute says, when you let these words in, so not just the auditory channel, truly letting the words in, the next phrase, you should understand the source, or simply perceive the source. When you let these words in, you encounter the ancestors. Mm. Doesn't that just touch you? So then, don't make up standards on your own. In a different translation, make no criterion. But in Pacific Zen Institute, also very revealing. When you let these words in, you encounter the ancestors. <clears throat> Don't limit yourself to your own small story. Mm. Right there is a gate. If you want to go through it, it's up to you. What is it that's beyond your own small story? The enlightened mind still functions normally in the world. It has to. The mind is not judging. It's discerning, yes. It's not judging. And right action reveals itself quite naturally. If these words, <clears throat> this Dharma talk, which I may choose to post, I don't know. <laughs> or anything you read or recite, or anything you study, helps you get into a non-word place, <clears throat> the words have done their job well. So I'd like to get us to a place of beyond language <clears throat> right now, and talk about the practice of chanting together. Chanting, <clears throat> and specifically chanting together, is the practice of returning. You know, our heritage language in this school, Japanese, is a very nuanced language. So each character has multiple meanings, and how they have been translated into English varies with the understanding of the translator, and I have to say interpreter, because it it translating from the Asian language into English requires interpretation because there's such a selection of potential meanings in each character. But beyond the understanding of language part, it actually, in we chant uh, three mornings a week, Makahanya Haramita Shingyo, the Heart Sutra. And it actually doesn't matter if you understand the words or not, because it, the meaning of it 
is beyond meaning. <laughs> the meaning of it is beyond believing. It's beyond understanding. Let me see if I can describe that to you. The Prajna Paramita, listen to the parallel sound, Hanya Haramita, Prajna Paramita. So the Hanya Haramita is just the, a transliteration of Prajna Paramita. That Prajna Paramita translates as uh, perfection of wisdom, wisdom perfection. The Buddha's words, that's what it's talking about. The Prajna Paramita literature, uh, <clears throat> as I understand it from my study, now includes, let this in as data, 1,330 volumes of teaching over his lifetime. His young life, when he was trying to figure out how to speak it, his middle life was kind of like, Okay, so now that we're in community, these are the rules for living together. And in his later life, expanding and deepening the first 50 years of the Buddhist teaching. So those 1,330 volumes have gotten squished into the Prajna Paramita literature. And we have a version of the Hanya Haramita that is 30,000 lines. We have a version of it that is 8,000 lines. And we have a version of it that we chant that is about 270 characters. So all of that has gotten squished into the Makahanya Aramita Shingyo. I invite you to memorize it. There are multiple ways to memorize it. The easiest way is to simply chant it often and ideally in the company of other voices. So those 270 characters and this one sentence, I'm coming back to it from about a year ago, forgive me, but it's just now um, clarifying for me how this one sentence expresses the whole works. So, partway through the uh, Hanya Haramita Shingyo, we hear this line, Mu Mu Myo Yaku Mu Mu Myo Jin. <clears throat> it's kind of a pivotal point in the rhythm of the chanting as well. So I'll describe to you how I understand the words themselves. <clears throat> mu means no or not. And the myo, in Roman letters, we would write that M-Y-O, myo, means bright. The character for bright is the sun and moon together. Isn't that great? So, mu, myo, means lack of brightness. We translated that as ignorance. So, mu, mu, myo, no lack of brightness, no ignorance. <laughs> now, the next part of that same phrase, yaku, mu, mu, myo, jin. The yaku, 
translates as therefore or thus or so. It's kind of a, a continuation or and. So, mu mu myo yako mu mu myo jin. The jin means um, no disappearance. Uh, there's no. Um, it doesn't go away. So there's no lack of brightness. There's no ignorance. And there's also no end to ignorance. <laughs> ah. There's no lack of brightness. And there's also no end to lack of brightness. There's no obstruction. And yet we behave as if there's obstruction. You see the parallel, right? Nothing is hidden. We have to stop waiting for the tendency uh, to, to want delusion to go away. <laughs> what appears to be a contradiction there is no lack of brightness and also no end to lack of brightness <clears throat> is actually not a contradiction at all. I'd like to read to you from a study I have been looking at. <clears throat> when my own words fail, I tend to turn to someone else. <clears throat> so this person is commenting on the Heart Sutra. <clears throat> And um, so in the world of enlightenment, this person's translating, there is no old age, no death, no ignorance. But in actuality, there is no end of ignorance, old age, and death. When this contradiction becomes no contradiction, that is the contents of Satori. When this section is really understood, the essence of the Hanya Shingyo will be understood. So, please let that sink in. 1,330 volumes into 30,000 lines into 8,000 lines into 270 characters into this one phrase. Mu mu myo yaku mu mu myo jin. No lack of brightness, also no end to lack of brightness. This is the merging of difference and unity. That teaching came centuries later, trying to explain the Buddha's fourth noble truth to that culture, that place, that time. So, Relative and absolute. Here we are again. Back to it. If we truly get that line, no ignorance and also no extinction of ignorance as non-contradictory, we see relative and absolute are not just mutually influencing, rather they're mutually expressing each other. 
But even mutual is off the mark. I'm sorry. Because it implies two. The absolute expressing itself as this one thing. Simultaneous with this one thing fulfilling its function as an expression of the whole. Mm -hmm. So, how this translates to our actual life, Zazen is the training for this. Becoming aware of our delusion rather than being in delusion about our delusion. This is where the pivot occurs. The tendency to get caught by our delusion recedes, and we're free to respond to the conditions as they are, with ourselves as part of the conditions, influencing the conditions by changing ourselves. So how does this no lack of brightness and no end of lack of brightness translate to my actual behavior? <clears throat> it's that, that moment of complete attention that includes the whole, as broad as one can feel the conditions, uh, influencing the response. So the fruit of practice, many people will come to practice saying, I do this to become more patient or more kind or more compassionate. And I would hold that that actually is not possible. Rather, that your already existing kindness reveals itself. Your already existing patience becomes unencumbered so that it can express itself freely. So when we're chanting together, this is training for that very moment of returning. Next time you have a chance to um, listen to the Heart Sutra, we, we do it each morning with multiple voices. You can chant on your own with those multiple voices. Next time you have a chance to hear those multiple voices, notice that one will get off rhythm, one will start to breathe, <laughs> and other voices just carry along. So the memorizing and the chanting together is the actual training for returning to the present moment. On our website, there's a lovely musical work, I would call it, of a Japanese teacher and priest who got together the international community and chanted the Heart Sutra in Sino-Japanese uh, along with Kanho's music. It's a very beautiful expression. But if you would like to begin to um, memorize that teaching... Listen to that frequently. Chant along with it. Find yourself harmonizing. Find yourself as part of the international community of practitioners. And I see that Rachel has put in the chat for anybody who would like the link to that very beautiful expression of the Heart Sutra. 
If you didn't catch it on the chat, you can find it on our website. Or listen to our own Sangha produce that uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday morning. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it. <clears throat> 